Uh, Well, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 93. You know, whenever I finish a sermon series, I think probably for uh, 20 plus years, whenever I finish a sermon series, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go to the Psalms. Uh, And we need the Psalms. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 93 together. I'm mindful as we look uh, at Psalm 93, no sermon says everything. Uh, The goal of a sermon is not to send you away knowing absolutely everything about a certain text. It's hopefully to bring God's truth in Christ to you in a way that sends you back to that text for more study and for more reflection. Uh, In other words, a sermon should both satisfy some spiritual hunger and it should also create some spiritual appetite. Uh, I sense there's a lot I'm not saying from this little psalm. You can, in your own reading and reflection on the scriptures, fill up what I am lacking. So Psalm 93, I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll look at it together. Give your attention to the reading of God's word for his glory and for our edification. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunder, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Uh, This is a little psalm. It's only five verses long. It's less than 50 words. Uh, But it unpacks for us one of the most important concepts uh, of the Bible, and that is the kingship of God. Verse 1, the Lord reigns, or the Lord is king, or possibly the Lord has become king. The Hebrew allows for this, and many scholars argue for it. It doesn't mean there was a time that God wasn't king. It just means that uh, there are times when moments in history when God is enthroned anew as king, as he brings his kingship into greater and greater expression into the world. The psalm has three stanzas that show us different facets of God's kingship. In verses 1 and 2, we see that God is the king of creation. God is a builder who establishes the earth so it can't be toppled. In verses 3 and 4, we see God is the king over chaos. God is a warrior who is mightier than the wildest seas. And in verse 5, God is the king of his covenant people. God is a faithful judge who testifies to and dwells with his people. Uh, God's kingship seems to me a message we need to hear right now. The Lord is reigning over the world that he made. The Lord is reigning over all the things that 
we feel are overwhelming, the Lord reigns over us and he's with us so we can trust him. So let's just look at this little psalm together this morning. Uh, Verse 1, the Lord reigns. Uh, And then we get this great metaphor, the Lord is robed in majesty. Uh, In America, we don't have kings, at least we're not supposed to, but I think that uh, we still grasp what is being said here. Human kings were clothed with these exquisite, ornamental, jewel-crusted robes, and so the robe here in verse 1 is an image of God's rule. A robe clothes you, a robe covers you, And so God is described here as covered not in jewels and expensive threads, but in a robe of his majesty. God is clothed in dignity, in grandeur, in sovereign authority that inspires awe and reverence. Uh, We also read that God has put on strength as a belt. A belt holds your robe in place and the belt that holds God's rule in place is his power. It's his strength. Uh, And that power can be seen by what the psalmist says next. The world is established and will never be moved. Creation celebrates God's kingship. The world stands because our God wants it to stand. And behind all that we've learned in our scientific understanding of the world and the universe, behind all of that is God's uncontested reign over the world from the beginning and even before the beginning. Verse 2 says, Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Uh, So I think metaphors are important. Uh, God is robed, we read that two times uh, in the beginning of the psalm. He is put on a belt, his throne is established. You know, often what we want to do is we want to get rid of the metaphor. Just tell me what the metaphor means, please reduce it to a proposition uh, that I could find in a systematic theology text, and then I can just get rid of it. But the whole point of the metaphor, the whole point of the way that it is written is to make God, who is difficult to imagine, easier to imagine. And I think we lose something if we just translate it into these systematic propositions. God has sovereign power over creation is not the same thing as the Lord is robed. He reigns. He is robed in majesty. Uh, I think that we have lost, as the church, our grip on the majesty of God. Uh, Or maybe I should say, on the God of majesty. Uh, We are today people who are worried and animated and moved by anything and everything besides a great king who is adorned with majesty and sovereign rule and enveloped in strength. Uh, We have so much information coming to us on our phones, via our social media apps, that we have become either bored by or oblivious to the majesty of the king. And one of the things that these metaphors are meant to do is they are meant to free us 
from the grip of these other things so that we will be gripped by the majesty of God. Uh, Well, if God is a king of creation, which he created and which stands by his almighty sovereign power, we might be a little surprised to hear that the world is marked by chaos. Uh, In verse 3, we have this image of the churning, raging, tumultuous sea. Uh, The sea represents all that is uncontrolled, all that is uncontrollable, all that is frightening and destructive in the world. Uh, By the way, that's why Revelation says that in the new creation, there will no longer be any sea. Because when God sets things right, evil and chaos, which is what the sea, the waters uh, represent, all of that will be abolished. Uh, And so note, when you're looking at verse 3, I think this is so interesting, note how the language of verse 3 builds and increases and progresses just like the floodwaters. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods have lifted, the floods lift up their roaring voice. Uh, The image here, I think, is of the waves getting bigger and bigger and louder and louder until its roaring drowns out everything else. And we are left with this growing sense of being overwhelmed by the water. Uh, I think it's really only modern people who, when they think about the sea and the ocean and the water, think about recreation. Let's go on a cruise. Let's go jet ski. Let's windsurf. Uh, Watch the movie A Perfect Storm, if you've never seen it, uh, and ask the question like, do I want to go on a cruise or go windsurfing today? Uh, The ocean is powerful. The ocean is an uncontrollable force. And the flood and the sea and the waters become in the Hebrew scriptures a metaphor for disaster, social upheaval, political chaos, and certainly then the floodwaters have lifted up in our day. And they've gotten higher and higher, and they are roaring. Uh, I don't know that I need to detail it for you. COVID, science denialism, full hospitals, mounting death tolls, simmering tensions over racial injustice that have been bubbling under the surface but have burst into the open, political divisions, the breakdown of democracy, incidents of mass violence. It's hard not to feel, if you're reading Psalm 93, like we are living in verse 3. Mighty waters, mighty waters rising, mighty waters roaring. Forces beyond our control that feel like they are about to overwhelm us. And if verse 3, with the rising waters, is making us more and more anxious that we are going to drown, then verse 4 comes along to uh, sort of rescue us and assuage our anxieties. Verse 4, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Note that he is called the Lord on high. He is higher than the rising tide. He is never overwhelmed by the flood. 
He is on high, girded with strength. No matter how high the waves get, they cannot reach God. There are no rivals to His throne. Uh, I literally have no idea if and how and when we come back from the flood of political and social and religious divisions that have been laid bare over the last few years. I literally have no idea. What I do know is that in the face of all that, there is one who is on high. And God is mightier than the flood waters that easily overwhelm us. And he is louder than the floods and bigger than the breakers of the sea. And he is in charge. And his rule is not uncertain and it's not insecure. His majesty and power crush the fear and anxiety caused by the rising floods. Uh, as king, God vanquishes the forces of chaos. That's the point of verses 3 and 4. In Genesis, he came into the formlessness and void, and he separated churning waters, and he made dry land. In Jesus, he tread a path on the raging sea, and he spoke a word that calmed the violent waves. The disciples had never seen such a storm. They thought that they would die, and Jesus rebuked it, and it ceased. Remember the disciples' response? Who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? Or maybe they were thinking, mightier than the floodwaters is the Lord most high. Uh, there are events on every side that surge over you, that overwhelm you, that make you feel the total loss of control. Jesus is still in control. The Lord reigns. All right, well, we get this surprising turn in verse 5. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. We suddenly move from the thunder of great waves to God's trustworthy decrees. Uh, it's interesting, the, wor the word here translated decree in my Bible, it might be translated statute uh, in yours. It's the word edut, edotecha, your testimonies. Uh, this is a word that is often associated with the regulations of the tabernacle. Uh, remember, Leviticus, Leviticus calls the ark the ark of the testimony. Uh, sometimes the ark can simply be referred to just as the testimony. Uh, number calls, numbers calls the tabernacle the tabernacle of the testimony. Testimony has to do with remembering God's saving actions and responding. Uh, and it makes sense that the tabernacle and the ark are then associated with this term testimony because God's great saving act is to come and dwell with his people. Uh, that's why I think the very next phrase after your testimonies are, are firm, are trustworthy, we read, holiness befits your house. Uh, God's, again, great saving act is to dwell with us. Holiness is appropriate if the divine king of creation and the divine king over chaos comes to dwell in the midst of his people. Here's the point, I think. The work of our king is not just 
his big, great might over creation. It's also not just his divine power over the raging seas. The work of our king is also his promises and his presence with his people. The God of creation, the God of chaos, God over chaos, excuse me, comes and dwells with his people. And he makes them promises and he puts his presence in their midst. Those two things go together, by the way. God's promise is to be present with his people. Uh, He's transcendent, he's enthroned over all creation, but he's imminent. He draws near and dwells with his own. Uh, That's what the incarnation is. A God who personally comes to dwell and tabernacle with us. A God who takes off his robe of glory and puts on a servant's towel to wash the feet of his people. The God of creation, the God over chaos, entering into creation and being overwhelmed by the flood of human sin and divine judgment to save us. That's a faithful testimony. Here's what I think we're learning when we move from verses four, when we move from verse four to verse five. In a world that is full of chaos, where almost nothing can be relied on, what can be relied on? The king, and the word of the king, and the presence of the king. You can trust that the king will keep his great promises. You can trust that the king will keep his people. Because the same power that rules the world has given its word to the people of the king. Uh, Sorry that I keep coming back to our media-saturated, media-oversaturated world. Uh, You know, the way that media works is if you read it enough times, you'll eventually believe it's true even if it's not. How much more then ought we to meditate on what verse 5 refers to as true, firm, trustworthy testimonies? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Maybe not the way we tell him to, but he'll do it. That's a trustworthy testimony. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him to deliver their soul from death. God is not unaware of what you're going through. He's not distracted or uninterested. His eye of compassion is on you. That's a trustworthy testimony. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The victory does not depend on you. That's a trustworthy testimony. I came that my people would have life, and have life abundantly. No matter how hard your life is, it will never be less abundant or less fruitful If you follow Jesus, that's a trustworthy testimony. What do we need to hear in light of all the awful news we are hearing every day? Not more awful news. What we need to hear is that God, over time and circumstances and history, has kept his word 
and has not abandoned his people. Of course, there are things that make us wonder if God is on the throne. Of course, there are moments when we say the waters look like the most powerful thing in the world, but God and the promises of God are more powerful. Uh, I think people just want to have an ordered world. Uh, I think that people spend a lot of time trying to order their world. Uh, And and sometimes they do this in a very transactional way. Um, uh, Please order my world, and if it turns out you don't, uh, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. I'm not going to go to your church anymore. I'm not going to be part of this religion anymore. Because the only reason I'm doing all this stuff is because I need order in my world. Uh, Guess what? You can't order chaos. Uh, There is chaos outside. There is chaos inside, in our bodies, in our relationships. You can't order it. But you can come to the Lord's house where we try to live in holiness together and you can hear reliable and trustworthy testimonies. And you can trust the king who in his own time and in his own way brings order out of chaos. There is no hostile force that can overcome the king. He didn't just bring dry land out of chaotic waters. He didn't just still the storm. He came to his people. He conquered sin and death. And Ephesians 1 says, all that power of the king, uh, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is working in us right now. God's royal power, God's kingly power in us that we might conquer sin and live lives of trust and holiness in a chaotic world. I just want us to live with confidence and holiness, knowing that God reigns. There is a God who is in control, and even when we experience hardship and trauma and disappointment, God is who he said he would be. Amen? Let's pray.